Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, you certainly did not have to, but your love for us compelled you to be obedient to your Father and to die on the cross, to be our substitute, to take the penalty for our sin. And Jesus, we, we could never repay you, but Lord, it does produce in our hearts a true, real, thankful, and loving heart towards you, Father. We, do, we just uh, pray that everything else would be less important than our relationship with you. Lord, that, that the word spoken to us would be uh, like breath to our lungs, like, like food to our stomachs, that our soul would be fed and made alive through studying your word. And we thank you so much for the grace that is given to us. God, that we don't have to prove ourselves to you that you tell us that we are accepted in your beloved Son. And, and as we just enter by faith into your presence, Lord, you just you take everything bad away and you replace it with your peace, your love, and your Holy Spirit. We ask you to send us your Spirit. Fill us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Today's study is called Jacob Eats Woolly Worms. Nobody loves me, everybody hates me. I'm going to go outside and eat woolly worms. My mom used to sing that to me daily. I think it's the only song I remember from growing up. We'll learn more about that later. In Genesis chapter 42, it says, When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Now go down to that place and buy for, for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Joseph, Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. So we've been tracking along with this family for a year now. I mean, we've been tracking along with how they have been uh, having so much conflict. And, And so Joseph, we know, was part of these 12 brothers, and he was sold into slavery. His brothers hated him and his his attitude of being righteous and wanting to, to be concerned about his father's kingdom. And so his brothers sold them into slavery down in Egypt. And so Joseph was a slave down there for a few years. We don't know. And then he was you know, serving in Potiphar's house. And then Potiphar loved him. He was just the best servant ever. He was in charge of his whole house. And then Potiphar's wife came to him and said, you know, lie with me. And he's like, no. And she's like, I hate you. So he gets thrown in jail and he's serving in jail. So 13 years pass. He is now 30 years old. Last week we learned about how he interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh. He spiritually ministered to Pharaoh. He he was pointed Pharaoh to God and not himself. And he said, I'm going to, you know, God can bless you. God can heal you your land and protect you and provide for you guys. And, and that's what happens. So Joseph is now the prime minister of Egypt. He's second in charge. Everyone listens to him. He's totally in charge. But way out in Canaan, up north in Canaan, his family is living, right? And, and his brothers have gone down and, and, and gotten grain. And, 
and his father's there and knows nothing about any of this. And that's where we're at today. So, so Jacob saw that there was this grain in Egypt and this famine is really bad in the land. And so he says to his sons, why do you look at one another? It's funny because I bet you that these brothers, every time the word Egypt was mentioned, they would they'd kind of look at one another because they knew what they did, right? Their conscience was working overtime. They were guilty. And as they would look at one another, they would just be like, yeah, dude. You know, Simeon would look at Levi and, and Judah. would look, and, and all these guys would just be like, ah, Egypt. Why does that always come back into our lives? God just doesn't let it go. They had sold Joseph into slavery down there. But it's interesting because even though Joseph was the one in slavery and in prison, who are really the ones that are in prison? These brothers are imprisoned by their guilt. Their guilt. I mean, they just, they can't hardly even talk about it. They're so imprisoned by it. That's going to come back as we, as we keep studying in this, okay? Lest some calamity befall him is what Jacob said about little Benjamin. So Benjamin and Joseph were, were full brothers. See, Jacob had several wives, so two wives and then these two concubines. He had these 12 kids by four different women. Now, Joseph and Benjamin were the last two of his beloved wife, right? His favorite wife. These were the last two, and Joseph's already lost as far as he knows. And so Benjamin, his little Benjamin, is is got a real special place in Jacob's heart. And Jacob says he will not let him go lest some calamity befall him. Jacob's still not over the loss of his son. It's been 20 years, but look, Jacob, even after 20 years, is living in fear with fear and regret. That's what's dominating his thoughts as we see him in this point. See, mourning is not wrong. Anyone in mourning right now? Anyone have uh, gone through mourning in their life? Well, if you haven't, you're going to. People are going to die. Bad things are going to happen. You are going to get sick. It's going to happen. And mourning is not bad. But Jacob has an issue with trusting God. And it has extended his mourning to an unnatural and unhealthy length and extent. Is his son dead? No. What's the truth, Jacob? Jacob, what's the truth? God is in control and working out things behind the scenes for a blessing for Jacob. Jacob could know this, but, but he doesn't know it. And that's leading him to make, to, to make poor decisions and, and to hold on to things that he shouldn't necessarily be holding on to. Would you guys keep your finger here in Genesis 42 and turn over to Romans chapter 8? And you guys, most of you have this verse memorized. We talked about it last week, for goodness sake. If you don't have it memorized even after last week, you will have it memorized by the end of today. And that's on purpose. We have to be reminded of the same truths over and over because they're so very, very important. What does Romans 8.28 say? But we 
know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. It's a very important verse, and we're going to hang there today. So keep one finger there. Keep one finger in Genesis. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. So Jacob, he is not trusting that the Lord God is for him and not against him. He, he kind of sees things as jaded because of what's happened in his life. He's not believing the word of God. See, the principle of Romans 8.28 was true at this time. Now, Romans wasn't written yet. It wouldn't be written for another 4,000 years. But God doesn't change. And this is the truth. This is the truth that Jacob could have known, but he didn't know. But you get it. You have this verse. So everything we go through, we need to look at Jacob as this, as this illustration, this lesson of how not to act. We need to act with Romans 8.28 being our guide. When we believe that, when we believe that God is working for us, it protects you from living your life in fear. Jacob saying, I'm not going to send my son. What if something befalls him? You guys ever met a parent like that? <laughs> uh, at times I've been like that. <laughs> my wife has been like that too. And we've had to learn to trust. There's this one family I know, Gnu, growing up, and they, were, they had the most sheltered existence, you know. I won't say homeschooled, but they might have been, you know, at a school at their house, you know. They, they were real, real sheltered, right? And their parents were always like, oh, make sure you oh, do that. And they, they kind of, <laughs> and they were the most bumped up, bruised kids I'd ever seen in my life. It's almost like the guardian angels are like, oh, you want to take our job? You want to take our job? All right, I'll let you take care of it then. Where the Bible says there are angels that watch over our children, and that's pretty cool. We can trust him with things like that. Well, anyway, when we believe that God is working out all things for good, it, it, it helps us from living in fear, thinking I'm not going to take a step of faith. I'm not going to move there. I'm not going to marry this person. I'm not going to do that that I think God may could use in my life, but I'm going to... I'm just going to stay here on my couch. Anxiety, worry, doubt, and despondency are all healed by Romans 8.28. Healed. God doesn't want you living in fear. Anxiety is not what the Lord has for you. You can be healed from those things, but it takes meditating on these verses and not just reading them and saying, I believe that, but you don't know my life. No. Meditate on it until it changes you. And it might take years of constantly saying, Lord, what does it mean that you're for me and not against me? What does it mean that you're working all things together? What does it mean? And you've got to wrestle with that with the Lord. See, all of these conditions of fear, uh, anxiety, worry, doubt, despondency, they're just conditions that are simply and totally healed and soothed by the knowledge of who God is and what he does. Because he doesn't drop you off and leave you. He doesn't mess around with your life for no reason. He doesn't bring trials into your life for no point. He doesn't want to just hurt you. 
but we think he does. And when we allow ourselves to be healed of that mentality, knowing God rightly keeps your mind healthy. Knowing God rightly can bring health to your whole being. It's amazing. God loves Jacob. That's the truth. God loves Jacob. So watch how he uses all these things to rip out every dependency upon his flesh from Jacob's heart. He's going to rip the, and you might say, that's violent of God ripping out something. But no, God doesn't care. He loves Jacob, and he's got some surgery to do in Jacob's heart. But God also loves the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel. So I want you to watch how he uses all these things to free them from this prison of guilt that the 10 brothers are in. God loves them. And see, God is working all these things out for great things, good things. Jacob's hearts can be freed from this self-dependency and flesh. And the 10 brothers are going to be freed, but they're going to go through it until that happens. But it's the only way. It's the only way. Why is my larf life, larf? Why is my life so hard? Because it's the only way for God to get done what he needs to get done in your heart. It's the only way. Well, how do you know it's the only way? Because that's the way God's doing it. Well, what if there's another way? There's not. How do you know? Because that's the way God's doing it. And he doesn't ever make mistakes. But it seems so unfair. I know. But that's where we have to trust him. Because we don't see the truth. Jacob's son is not dead. He's not. The thing that has Jacob all in a mess right now is not even true. Verse 5, then the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he, he, it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. It's so cool that this fulfills that prophecy that Joseph had of his brothers bowing down to him when he was younger, right? And it's funny because his brothers had purposefully tried to stop the fulfillment of that dream by selling him into slavery down in Egypt. They were going to kill him, but they decided to sell him into slavery because they're greedy for money. Yet they become slaves of their sin and of the guilt that follows it. You see, guilt and slavery always is attached to sin. Every time we sin, there's something attached to it. The fine print is guilt and slavery. And this is the part that Satan left out when she tricked Eve. You remember that? She's like, oh, you'll get to choose what you want. You'll get to choose right and wrong. And Eve's like, oh. And you'll be like God because you get to make a choice. Oh. But he forgot to mention the horrific consequences of sin is guilt and slavery that last for eternity. Only Jesus Christ can fill, free someone from that guilt and sin. Nothing in this world can free anyone from guilt except for Jesus Christ. Sin has to be paid for. I mean, the smallest little sin must be paid for, and we have nothing in our account to pay for it. God brought 
freedom to Joseph, and he used their evil plans for the deliverance of his people. That's the big picture of what's going on here. God is using Joseph to deliver his people. God's wisdom is that he can use men's evil choices to bring about good and godly purposes. That's really the whole lesson of today. Have people been evil to you? Have they abused you? Have they treated you poorly? Have you ever had anyone treat you unkind? And you might think, if there was a God, he could stop this. Yeah, he could. He could. But the amazing thing about the Bible and theology is that he doesn't, but yet he transforms those things into good, into our lives. This is the principle we see. Have you ever wondered how God can bring good out of evil? I mean, the Holocaust. What good came out of that? Well, the answer is a lot, a lot of good. What about abortion? What good can come out of that? I mean, it's a, it's a purely evil thing. It's a purely horrible, sinful, selfish thing. How can that be turned out for good? Well, God does. He does do it. Poverty. There's poverty in the world. The war is on poverty. If we just fix poverty, everything would be fine. Well, God uses poverty. He doesn't start it. He doesn't think that that's the way everything should be, but he can use these things for good. And he does. It's called beauty from ashes. Have you ever heard that term before? Beauty from ashes. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, where it's talking about the job description of the Messiah. And in his job description, Jesus has written that he should bring beauty from ashes. It says, to console those who mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus does that. That's his job description, is to change our messed up stuff for blessings. Look at his own life. Look at Jesus as the example of this. He was unjustly punished. He was betrayed. He was poor, poorer than all of you. He was killed. He was disrespected as he was killed and even after he was killed. No funeral for Jesus. Yet his death brought the opportunity to the, all men to be saved. So in other words, uh, the greatest good in the entire world, men being saved of their sins, came from the greatest evil. God flipped it around. And that's what he does. He flips it around. Is your life as bad as Jesus' life? No, it's not. Everything you've been through, he went through too. Everything he went through. He was abused rejected, despised, hated, betrayed. Anything you can throw out there, he's like, I can do that better. And it's not so because he's having a competition with us. It's because he loves you and he wanted to identify with you. He was called Jesus of Nazareth. You ever wonder why he was called Jesus of Nazareth? Because Nazareth was a nowhere place that everyone hated. And it was nothing. It was just a nobody place. Like Pueblo. 
Sorry, Rich. <laughs> so, as uh, maybe Trinidad. So, as he as he's from this place, it, Jesus it just means that Jesus he identifies with us. I mean, you're not popular. He wasn't popular either. I mean, you you don't have much going on. He didn't really either. You've been through it. He's been through it too. Jesus had all these horrible things, yet what did he never do? Doubt his father. He trusted his father. He served his father and glorified his father through all these things, showing us what we can do as well. Through, If we have his spirit inside us, we can do the exact same thing. When we face these trials, when we go through these things, see, Jesus, he took, he, he, his death brought the opportunity for sins to be washed away and for us to be adopted as sons of the Most High God and filled with His very Spirit. And that's why we're all here. Because that has happened. And if it hasn't happened to you, it can happen today. That's what His death does for us. Awesome. And all brought about by evil things men did. God used the evil things for good. Jacob needs to trust this. But he's not right now. He'll learn. Verse 7, Jake, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and, and spoke roughly to them. You could underline that. Then he said to them, where do you come from? Obviously speaking through an interpreter because he didn't want them to know he spoke Hebrew. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. That word remembered is he actually brought to mind. He started to meditate and think about the dreams and the meaning of them. So remember, he's the one that's always interpreting other people's dreams, right? But now Joseph, he's like, wait a second. I think God is doing something really big here. And he started to think about the dreams that God had given him. And it affects his heart. When he remembers the word of God, it affects his heart and the way he acts towards other people. Remember that. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, <laughs> probably speaking to the honest men part, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, your servants are 12 brothers and the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more, which is a lie. So they're mixing truth. Oh, they're saying a lot of good things with a lie. They're still propagating this lie. They're still believing this lie. They're still connected to a lie. And that's what Joseph is after right now. We're going to see that in just a sec. Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So uh, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh you are spies. Surely you are spies. So we put them all together in prison for three days. So Joseph, he's still serving God. Joseph is still our perfect picture 
of Jesus Christ. We've seen him. He has so many things aligned with Jesus. He's a wonderful image and picture. If you don't understand why, listen to last week's study. It, it, we did about 50 things where Joseph is a perfect picture of Jesus. And he's still doing this, still serving Jesus. He's still concerned with the glory of God and the fulfillment of his, God's plans for his brothers. See, God, he remembered these dreams and he remembers God has a plan for you guys. So stop lying. God has a plan for you, but you need to be freed. And so what you need is to be freed from guilt. You have a great need. And Joseph, he's serving them right now. But what he's doing, you know, they say they're honest, but they've been very dishonest. So Joseph decides what they need is tough love. Tough. Now, have you guys ever heard the term tough love before? Okay. We're going to define it today biblically. Because what the world thinks of tough love is not accurate and it's not appropriate. It's not helpful. Okay, when we think tough love, we're like, got to be mean because I love you. I got to be angry because I love you. You know, let me take away your car keys. Let me poke jabs at you. Let me speak undercutting things towards you because it's tough love. And we justify unkindness and ungentleness and impatience as love when it's not. We have a definition of love. What chapter in the Bible defines love? 1 Corinthians 13. It says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, not self-seeking, does not boast, not proud, remembers no records wrong. You guys know it. We all know what love is, yet we're so easy to say, oh, oh, let me put that on the side and use tough love. My definition of tough love, which is I'm going to be a jerk for a while, give you the silent treatment or treat you unkind so that godly godly purposes can be accomplished. Does the wrath of man ever produce the righteousness of God? No. So being angry is not tough love. Joseph shows us what tough love is. Tough love... (laughs) this is crazy, is pointing people to Jesus and refusing to accept a lie. Refusing to accept a lie. Refusing to let them continue in a state of dishonesty. Look what he does. He puts them in a real prison for three days to let them think about their state of their souls, which is in prison by guilt. To see if they'll come clean about their sin, to repent, to get rid of the lies, be done with the lies. This is a test to see if there is any truth in them. That's what he says it is, and it is. It's a test to see if there's any truth in them, if they'll let that truth out. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In other words, it was affliction that brought me back to the place where I, I remember truth and I hang on to truth. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Amazing. Now, verse 18, Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. That's an interesting thing to hear from an Egyptian ruler. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of all your houses. Is Joseph being cruel? Is Joseph being mean? Is he having our definition of tough love? 
No, he's being merciful. Even in their tough, even in a tough situation, he's kind. He says, and bring your youngest brother to me so that your words can be verified and you shall not die. He gives them hope. He doesn't say, you're a disappointment, you'll always be a disappointment. And then turn around and say, man, I hope that changes them. Joseph is trying to lead them in the path of life. But in order to get that done, they have to understand that what they're doing is wrong. They are lying, and he, the only way he knows how to do that, what the Lord has given him, is to put them in prison for three days. So he does that in love, in gentleness, and not to hurt them. That's what tough love is. It's leading someone in the path of life. In other words, being honest with God. The only way we are going to get past this son, daughter, who I have to have tough love with, is if you're honest with God. I, I'm, not, I'm just in the equation. I'm not really, this is between you and God. I'm going to lead you. I cannot force you. You are free. Nathan sent me this really amazing parenting uh, sermon the other day, and I'm, so go to him and ask for it because it's awesome. But it talked about how we're free, and our kids are free. We're free to love them even when they're jerks to us, and they're free to choose where they're going to follow, and that keeps everything godly. It's really cool. It's a really great sermon. Anyway, uh, tough love is not just being mean until they change. You ever, did your parents do that to you? They were just withhold affection until you changed your behavior? How about that? Did they ever, did they ever um, just come down harsh on you? And you just thought in your mind, this is not loving. I do not feel loved right now. There's a way to discipline and have tough love, and still make them feel loved. In fact, that's what you have to do. That's your command. Love one another, right? Never get an option. You have to love one another. (laughs) Joseph had identified their sin, and now he's provoking their refusal to admit their sin. He's not just being mean for meanness sake. He's not reacting in the flesh. He's responding in faith and the wisdom and the spirit of God. So that's what Joseph does, because he's awesome. That's what we can do, too. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. Uh, I'm going to read to you 5 through 11, uh, which is going to encourage us in this, that this is how God deals with us. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. It says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For, when the, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there among you who, whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11, real key. Now no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
So that's how this relates to us. Sometimes we're the brothers. Sometimes we're these 10 brothers and we are holding on to a lie and we will not let it go. And then bad things happen in your life and chastening comes from the Lord. Sometimes bad things do happen because you're an idiot and because you're stubborn. And God says, I, you need to feel some pain before you'll give up your sin. And not give it up like stop doing it, but just admit it to me. Just confess it to me and receive my healing and my forgiveness. I'll change your heart. I take responsibility for changing your actions and your lifestyle if you'll just be honest with me. In humility and faith, come to me. Confess your sin and I will change you. That's the whole message of the new covenant. Oswald Chambers, great guy. You guys read Oswald Chambers' devotionals? You should if you don't. I don't know what you're doing. Oswald Chambers says, It is very easy to grieve the Spirit of God. We do it by displeasing, despising the dis- discipline of the Lord. Let me say that again. We do it by despising the discipline of the Lord or by becoming discouraged when he rebukes us. If our experience of being set apart from sin and being made holy through the process of sanctification is still very shallow, we tend to mistake the reality of God for something else. And when the Spirit of God gives us a sense of warning or restraint, we are apt to say mistakenly, oh, that must be from the devil. Verse 21. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them and said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned. So you thought I was making that up. It's right there. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It's working. It's working. Their conscience is doing its job. You know, the United States government has a fund set up called the Federal Conscience Fund. Did you know about this? It's for uh, the money which people send into the government anonymously saying that they've cheated somehow and their conscience wouldn't let them go and so they they uh, send checks to the government and the government puts all these random checks that they don't know what to do with in this thing called the Federal Conscience Fund. People uh, have sent in money because they took army blankets for souvenirs, cheating on postage, or on income tax. <laughs> But it's funny, uh, one man wrote the IRS and said, I cheated on my taxes and I can't sleep at night. Here's a check for $100. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest that I owe. (laughs) I thought that was funny. So the brothers here, they've stopped hiding their guilt now, at least among themselves. They're at least talking about it now. And Joseph is so moved that, that he breaks down weeping. He's so excited that there is something alive in these brothers. They're, they're turning. They're not going to hide it forever. They're actually talking about it, even though they're, they're all a bunch of idiots right now and still just arguing among themselves about why this has happened. They're at least admitting we are wrong. I've been lying. We've been lying about it. it 
If he just wanted to, them, his brothers, to like him, he could have done that. He could have said, I'm the king of the world. What about you? What about now? You know, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> As, uh, but instead, he, he was far more concerned with them being right with God. So they, they hate him right now. He's this ruler that it has them in prison, but he's so much more concerned about them being right with God. And that is the heart of Jesus. He's more concerned about your relationship with God than about how much you like him. Well, I don't like that Jesus bossed me around. He doesn't care. I don't like that Jesus convicts me of sin. It hurts my heart. Sorry. Don't sin. So then he returns and talks with them, it says. He doesn't withhold a certain amount of fellowship with them. And he doesn't ever try to minister to them with bitterness and hatred. This is tough love, real tough love. Does not withhold fellowship. When we give each other the silent treatment, well, I'm not going to talk to that brother. They offended me. That is not Christ-like. That is not godly. You return and you talk with them, you speak with them, and you never speak with bitterness or hatred. You, you deal with those things before the Lord. It's amazing how upset we can get at our spouses, right? And, and we just feel like, I just got to get away. And in truth and reality, that is the last thing that your relationship needs. You guys need, you need to die to yourself, husbands, and don't be mad. Don't have bitterness and don't be angry. Don't have hatred. And talk about what's going on. This is what would please the Lord and this is what I want to see. Let's, let's please the Lord together. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. I'm upset right now, but I'm not going to take it out on you. It's not you that's the problem. Us, we have flesh, both of us. And we're going to connect and we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord together. So important for marriages to learn. It's not tough love to say, well, I'm just going to do this until they change. doesn't work. 1 Corinthians 13, guys, you know it. If you don't, go memorize it. Verse 25, Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed for, at the encampment, he saw his money. It was, and there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to this? See, they know that God is against them. They are just sure of it. There's been some mistake. I mean, they know they didn't take the money, but they know that if their money is found, they're going to be caught for sure. So they are all thinking, God's against us. God wants us to pay for our sins. But is God against them? Is he against them? Their entire circumstance, all of their life situations, tell them, God's against you. But is God against them? No. That's the problem with sin, is that it tricks us into thinking that God's our enemy. 
Yes, he was our enemy, but because of the cross, Jesus has brought peace. He is no longer our enemy. Our sin was great, but his sacrifice was, is greater. So now we are not enemies. In fact, when we believe, we're adopted as his children. And he bears with our weakness and he disciplines us and loves us and is so great. <laughs> he is not against us. And the brothers here, they're just finding this out. They're, they're like sure of it. Oh, God's against us. Instead of looking at a blessing, God just gave him a huge blessing. Here's your money back. And they, all they can think is, God's still against me. Verse 29, Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land has spoke roughly to us, and he took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. <laughs> Lying again. And we're not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the, your, the famine of your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, their father saw the bundles of money, he was afraid. So they're still lying to their father. They're not all the way there yet. Verse 36, and Jacob, their father. Verse 36, you should highlight, star, underline, very important verse for us. Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me, Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go outside and eat woolly worms. Really, Jacob? Really? All these things are against you? All these things are for him. They are all good, every single one of them. God is working out a huge blessing, a huge salvation, a huge deliverance, and huge joy for Jacob. And Jacob says, all these things are against me. When I was throwing a fit as a child and being selfish, my mom would sing me that. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go outside and eat woolly worms. And it helped me because her sarcasm, she would do it in love. She'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm having a rough day. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go outside and eat woolly worms. And her sarcasm ministered to me, and it helped me to understand that I was loved and that life was not that bad. No matter what I was going through, it wasn't that bad. And I remember going through the deepest, darkest day of my soul when I was in my 20s. And I was talking to her about it, and she said, Nobody loves me, everybody. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. You're right. It helped a lot. I want us to look at the difference between Joseph and Jacob. Who's had the worst life? Joseph has. Joseph's circumstances have been much worse than Jacob's. 
and yet he never complains, never doubts the Lord. And Jacob is full of self, of doubt and fear and self-pity. He's self-centered, and so he's sad. And that's what happens in the world today. There's two kinds of people. Self-centered people who are sad and people who worship God that are generally happy. No matter what the situation, irregardless of the trials and suffering of their life, they have a joy inside them. Read the book of Philippians when you need that joy. It talks about that joy. Paul was in prison when he's writing the book of Philippians. And yet joy marks a believer. Because that's what he gives. It's his gift he gives to us. All these things are against me, he says. And this is what you and I say all the time. But what do we know? Everyone thought that the Broncos would lose last Sunday. (laughs) What do we know? I cheered, right? Had faith. (laughs) Everyone thinks they're going to lose this Sunday. (laughs) We'll see what happens with that, but. We're wrong about so many things that we think. People think moths eat clothes. Do you know that's not true? Larvae eat clothes. Moths come from the larvae. So mothballs don't keep moths away from your clothes. They keep larvae away from your clothes. They keep the moths from putting their whatever. Ostriches do not put their head in the sand. Did you know that? I think every cartoon ever that has an ostrich in it, they're putting their head in the sand, right? It's even a cultural meme for us of of, uh, ignoring your circumstances, right? Well, they don't do that. Do you know ostriches actually put their head on on the ground to listen to the vibrations so that they can hear danger coming from miles away? Eh, makes me think they're smart now. Still be really fun to ride an ostrich. What can we really know? If we don't know what our circumstances are, if we don't know how they're all going to work out, what can we really know? And I think a lot, uh, you know, we think that a lot. We think that, that I don't know, I just don't know what's going to happen in these situations. The Bible says we really don't know a lot. So can we know anything at all? Is there anything we can be sure about? Well, your finger has been in Romans chapter 8. It's all sweaty now, so turn over to there. Your pages are all wrinkly a little bit now. But in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So he says, you can go to the bank on it. You can build your life on it. It's a guarantee. It's truth. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. We can know that it's going to work out for our good. We can know. Everything. You get murdered. Ah, Worked out for your good somehow. Anything you go through. And I know it sounds simplistic, and I know it sounds insensitive, but it's not. It's truth. Jacob is wrong. He's really wrong. I know it looks like that's the truth in his eyes, but it's not true. God's word is true no matter what you see. No matter what you're going through, God's word is true. But I can see how Jacob came to his conclusion. You know, his son is gone. He probably suspected his 10 other brothers killed him. That seems bad. 
There was a famine, a terrible drought. Everyone's going to die of starvation if they don't go looking for help and bread. That seems bad. He sent his sons to go get bread, but now the ruler thinks they're spies and Simeon is now being held hostage. That seems bad. Their money is in their sacks, so now they all look like criminals and robbers. That seems bad. And now they're being forced to send his youngest son down to a dangerous land with his dangerous brothers that he doesn't trust with a dangerous prime minister. That seems bad. And we can feel the same way. You ever been dumped? You ever got fired? The doctor ever tell you it's not good news? We say, it's all working against me. I'm going to go outside and eat woolly worms. But there is a miracle coming. In Jacob's life, if you know the story, things are going to be amazing. There is a good work being done in your life. All this is centered on the person of Jesus. Joseph is a type and an image of Jesus, as we've seen. Where does the miracle come in Jacob's life? What turns all this around? Joseph, Jesus, turns it all around. Turns all of his curses into huge blessings. Maybe, though, we read that verse in, in Romans, and this is, this is the real serious part, okay? We read that verse, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Those who love God. And that's where we have, that's the rub. That's where we have a problem because do I love God? Ooh, I don't know. Now I'm starting to doubt myself. I mean, I look at my week last week and there were times when I loved God and then there's times where I was a complete whatever you want to call it. So do I love God? Because what kind of love does God deserve? I mean, everything, right? So unless I'm living totally for God, does that mean God isn't going to work out all of the things in my life for good? What is the definition here? What's the context? What is going on? So turn with me to uh, the last chapter of John. John chapter 21. And a guy who's in that same situation is Peter. You guys remember Peter? What's Peter famous for? What? Denying Jesus three times is his, is his big, big claim to fame, right? Peter and Judas both fell on the same night. Judas ended up killing himself. Peter probably felt like killing himself. His denial of Christ was big. It was a big deal. But Peter comes back and spends time with the brothers. He doesn't isolate himself, which is a real big deal. When you, when you fall, you don't isolate yourself. You come back to the, the God's people. and we spend time. But look at what Peter does here. Peter, he, he's denied Christ. He's thinking in his life, if anyone should doubt whether they love God, it's Peter at this point in time. So, Peter's there with seven other disciples in verse, uh, we'll start in three. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. So Jesus has died, and Jesus rose from the dead. And the disciples all saw him. But then some time has gone by, and Peter's kind of bored. He's kind of like, I'm not sure what to do. I'm going to go fishing. 
So he says to his brothers, let's go fishing. I'm not sure what to do right now. We're just waiting for something to happen. So let's go fishing. Goes back to what he knew before the Lord. And they said to him, we're going to go with you also. So he went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Ah, because after you've known the goodness of the Lord, after you've been serving the Lord, nothing else satisfies, right? It's going to be totally empty. The resources dried out, right? But he's still hungry. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, no. Embarrassingly, hey, but they're not lying. At least they're open about their failures, right? And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. And the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish, uh, some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter this is a miracle. This is a, you might not have noticed this, but this is a total miracle. They couldn't even, all of the men couldn't drag the fish up. But look what Peter does. He went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came to them and took the bread and gave to them. And likewise the fish. Now, it was the third time that Jesus had showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to me, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. All right. So in there, we, we are unfortunate that we speak English. Because in Greek, it has two different words for love. Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me, agape? Do you love me with all, all of you? Totally love me. And Peter responds and he says, you know, I like you. I brotherly love you. I'm affectionate toward you, towards you. I feel it, but I'm not faithful. And three times that's repeated. Jesus says, do you love me with all of you? And Peter's like, I really, really like you. But you know how screwed up I am. You know how much I've messed up. And what does Jesus do all three times? He directs Peter's attention towards people. Towards people. Away from Peter's failure and towards people. Because Jesus knows that Peter does love him. Because Peter's been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. 
Now Peter's struggling with this battle between flesh and spirit, and Peter just sees the mess that he is, and he will not lie. He will not say, I'm totally sold out for you, Jesus. He's like, ah, I really care about you, but I'm not perfect. Anyone identify with that? Man, Peter is like awesome. He has learned to be honest, and I love that about Peter. And Jesus has a perfect solution for Peter. He says, instead of you focusing on yourself and how much you failed, why don't you instead focus on tending my sheep, feeding my lambs, focus on all the other people in all the other chairs, minister to them. Now this is amazing. Because in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me. Remember, we're focused on Romans 8.28. God's working all things together for those who love God. Well, Jesus says, if you love me, what's it going to look like? You're going to keep my commands. Then in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also should love one another. Okay, do you see the direction Jesus is going with his commands? Then in, um, so the question is, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that God's working all these things out for my life? John, first John chapter 3, when, when John, after he writes his gospel and has all these experiences, he writes us a letter to kind of explain the heart of Jesus, explain what's going on. And in 1 John 3.14, he says, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So God says the real key if you're concerned about your life working out and seeing my blessings, is for you to stop thinking about your life and focus on the church. Focus on the brothers and sisters. And, you know, some of those guys, we talked about this a little bit, the nitty-gritty. Some guys are like, they love their, to go to church up in the mountains. And they're like, my sanctuary is the stars. And I love being out in the, in the mountains. And that's where I could go to church I say, yes, that can display God's power. It can, it can show his, his glory, but you don't, you're not proving anything. You're not really following God by going to church up there in the mountains. God says, if you care about me, you'll care about my people at church. You'll get your butt to church and love the people and serve the people at church. You'll put your needs on the back burner and you'll serve them first. That's what God says is the proof that you are are safe. Now, for some of us, that's really encouraging. And we're like, hey, I do love church. I do love being around God's people. It's so encouraging. And then some of us are like, I hate going to church. And all those people annoy me. And I really don't care about anything they're going through. And right now you're thinking, am I saved? And that's exactly what you're supposed to think. And you need to repent. And you need to ask God, how can I serve? How can I love the people, I need your spirit, God. Fill me with you, please. I'm sorry. I need to serve your church. That's what he says here. A little later in 1 John's letter, in 1 John 4, 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us. 
and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, we don't get what Thomas got. Thomas got to see Jesus, got to see God. We don't get that. I haven't seen God appear in a giant cloud in the sky. I haven't seen that, but I've seen people love me. And God says it's the same thing. It's the same thing. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. When you love brothers and sisters in church, it is the same as them touching Jesus Christ, God. And we need that so much. We need Jesus in our lives and it only really appears when we're loving one another, when we're caring about one another. That's, all it, that's the only time it happens. So, do you love God's people? Then you love God. If you can't stand Christians, you're not part of the family. It's as plain and simple as that. God gives us a clear test. Love God's people, and you love God. Done. So cool. So is everything working out for good? Do you love God? Then yes. If there's anything in your life that you're complaining about, frustrated with, or upset about, I ask you, and I'm encouraging you, to change your perspective. And I'm speaking to myself just as much. Instead of focusing on your trial, focus on loving God's people, and God will work it all out for a blessing. That's the lesson of today. Instead of focusing on your trial, Focus on loving God's people and God will turn it out for a blessing. Because what purpose does God have in chasing you if you've already figured out the lesson? Right? Your kid does something wrong. They stop doing it. They learn their lesson and you're still whooping on them? What? God would not do that. When we're done learning the lesson, we get it. So let's learn the lesson today. Let's focus on others, not ourselves. All right, guys, we're done. I love spending time in the Word with you guys. It's so awesome. I love your eyes. How they, they're just so bright and alive. And, and when I see the truths connect with your hearts, it comes through in these loving eyes. And it's really the best for me to see. I just love you guys so much. Let's all stand. We're going to um, have a song where we can come take communion. Uh, so as you uh, come take communion, we remember what Jesus did for us dying on the cross his body broken for us, and his blood poured out for us, the new life that he so freely offers to us. And uh, if you're serious about studying and you want a thing, you have to come ask me and say, pretty please. And nitty gritties on Wednesday. Anchor groups are this week. And if there's anything you guys need, you know, try to go around and, and set up a lunch date with someone. Just, just get together this week and encourage one another. This is how we focus on other people and don't have an agenda for your meetings together just get together and say like, hey what's going on in your life how can i minister to you just tell me what's going on and let's fellowship and so i know how to pray for you and so i know you i just want to love you that's our focus for this week guys let's go ahead and pray father we give you our hearts brand new we thank you for the people that you put into our church and into the um the body of christ next to us the uh here in this body Lord, we are, are so strange, this group of people you've brought together. But Father, you're, you, you don't make mistakes. And Lord, I pray that we would 
look at one another with eyes of love and gentleness. And we would be, Lord, maybe even tough and demand accountability and demand honesty. And yet, full of love, never impatient, never full of hate or bitterness. Lord, keep us close to you. And thank you, Jesus, so much that we can now uh, just sing a song to you and, and remember what you've done for us. And I pray that you would implant these lessons deep into our hearts. And don't let the enemy come and steal them away and give us excuses for why we need to treat each other poorly. Lord, help us to be full of grace and truth and full of you, Jesus, because that's what you are. In your name we pray. Amen.